So I've got questions. I ask these questions every year. Um, how many of you uh, open presents on Christmas Eve? Okay, you guys know part of my responsibility, I think a major part of my responsibility as a pastor is to tell you when things are not okay. Um, Jesus opened presents when? Christmas morning. Not Christmas Eve. He wasn't here yet. He could not open presents on Christmas Eve. So I just want you guys to think about that if you decide to disobey God and open presents on Christmas Eve. Just think about that. Just think it through. Um, so some things that uh, I saw th- this last couple of weeks I thought was pretty interesting. Um, <clears throat> so I saw the first news story, the first part of the news story, uh, and, and I didn't, it didn't click in my head, the, the gravity of it, until I saw the second news story. But the, the president of Guatemala has declared that Guatemala will be the pro-life capital of South America. That's huge. So that, that part, I was like, wow, that is amazing. And, I, and there was an article written about him talking about that. Um, now, you got to remember that South America is predominantly Catholic, right? And so there's a very strong anti-abortion mentality throughout um, the, the, the different countries. But he's coming out and, and publicly saying, as the president, we will not be a country that is about abortion. And so, so then I uh, saw a few days after that, I saw an article about... Um, that there is an economic, I think it's an economic summit that's going to be going on in South America, uh, hosted by the United States, hosted by President Biden, and Guatemala is not invited because of their pro-life stance. This, this to me, this is disgusting. This is, he, he's, he's in favor of babies being born, not being murdered, and, uh, and he's being penalized for that by a country that supposedly uh, is a moral country. We used, to, we used to see America and understand America as kind of the moral beacon for the rest of the planet. And um, this, is, this is disgusting. So uh, also on our, on our uh, building stuff that is going on out here, we have just encountered so much water when they're digging. We cannot get the pipes into the ground, the sewer pipes. And so um, they've tried all kinds of things. I've been out there the last couple of weeks watching uh, all of the attempts that are, that are truly futile. And so um, we're looking at two other options right now. <clears throat> that um, One is, is we're, we're trying to get um, the city to approve a different level of the, of the pipe, the uh, sewer line, because the, the water starts at a certain level and then we have to be below that. For the, for the sewer, and so we're asking to come up, and then we're also looking at a couple other options that, that hopefully will be fairly inexpensive, because some of the options that we've been looking at are in the half a million dollar range, extra, uh, to do some of this, and so, uh, so, so let's just pray about that right now. Um, we did have a meeting with the builder and everybody this last week, and, uh, and after it was over, I told them, I said, this is, I have not had a good time in this meeting. <laughs> This has not been enjoyable. And then, and then I said, can we pray? And, um, and most of them were like deer in the headlights. What? Pray what? And, uh, but here's the thing, guys. We, we're, we don't have any other options at this point. We don't have an extra half a million dollars just for the water sewer. Um, and so we, we kind of have our backs against the wall. But here's what we know, right? God, God does not mind it when our backs get against the wall. We do. We get worried, we get frustrated, but God's like, I've got this. I had it from the beginning. What are you worried about? Right? And so according to the Lord's Prayer, we, we want to pray God's will be done on earth as you've already taken care of it and written down in heaven. Right? And uh, so let's pray. God, we lift this up to you. We know <clears throat> that you are in charge. You didn't, you're not surprised by all the water underground. Uh, God, you put it there. And so... So you know what we're trying to do. We believe you've led us to this point. We don't believe we just came to this point. And so, Lord, with all of that in mind, we are trusting you and believing that you have the plan. We plead your will right now to be done. God, that you take care of this. You provide for this. And, uh, and help us to get this sewer finished so we can start on the building. And, uh, God, we, we, we trust you. We thank you. And we leave it in your hands that you're, you're doing a miracle 
And you're going to continue to do this in such a way, I, I just believe, Lord God, that it's going to surprise and amaze everybody when this is done, what, what you have done here. And uh, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one other thing that uh, I saw this last week that I, I've been talking about this for, for about, well, I've been talking about it for four or five years, but specifically the last year, year and a half, it's, it's becoming a bigger issue. I really still think this is the most important thing that's going on in the world today. It's not getting any media play. There was, there was one little article that was in the Citizens Free Press that linked to a Jerusalem Post article this last week about this, but that's the first thing I've seen in months and months in American, in any American media, conservative or liberal, that's talking about this. Everything that I'm getting from this comes from the Jerusalem Post and the Haaretz and some of those Jewish places that I have, that I get, that I get input from. But this, I still think this is the most important thing that's going on. And, and basically this is, um, this was the front page of the Tehran Times this last week. And the, the little red dots, that's Israel. And those little red dots are places that Iran declared this last week will be bomb sites when they, uh, when they start sending the bombs over. And as I mentioned, I'm pretty sure it was last week, definitely within the last two weeks, that uh, they have uranium enriched enough now for a nuclear warhead, and they're trying to get it at a much higher enrichment. But they have nuclear warhead cap nuclear capabilities now, and they have the warheads. It's just a matter of combining the two and sending them. And so the question comes out, why would Iran tell Israel where they're going to bomb them? Some of it is that's the, uh, that's the bravado of the culture, the saber-rattling, but some of it also, I believe, is that they're warning the... Muslims inside of Israel, the time is now, we're ready, and so you need to back out. You need to, you need to, to save yourself from this. Um, but this is scary stuff. This is why when, over the last few weeks, the, that um, our, our country, our State Department and President Biden has been backing away from Israel and talking less and less about how they're going to be there and support Israel and all this kind of stuff. They canceled the... Um, they pulled back the uh, embassy out of Jerusalem that, that uh, Trump put in there. All these different things. What they're doing is that our, our, our White House is sending messages to the rest of the Arab world. We are not going to be there for Israel. No matter what you do, we're not going to be there. And here's another thing that came out a quote this week from the UAE that says, all Arab countries will recognize Israel. In other words, recognize them as a state, a sovereign state. If they withdraw to the 67 line, if you know what that is, 1967 war, um, where they, they pushed into Syria and into Lebanon some and took some of that land, and then uh, Gaza is basically what that is. So, so here's the deal with that is, this is, the, this is the same week the UAE says, we'll recognize you if you pull back to 67 lines, which is not true because they didn't recognize them before they were in the 67 line, Right? Um, this is the same week that Iran says, oh, by the way, and this is where we're going to bomb. 67 line or not 67 line, right? And here's another thing. Let me, let me throw something out here prophetically for you guys. Now, I'm not saying I'm speaking prophetic. I'm saying all the stuff that people say prophetically. Talking about how um, 1948 was not the time frame that Israel became a nation. It was 1967 because that's when they took the rest of their rightful land. Guys, that doesn't work theologically because... That the land they took back in 1967 still isn't anywhere close to the land God gave them. The 1948 land is not. The 1967. Go to the go to a biblical map and say and and type in Google this. Type in uh, the the land given to the Israelites by God and look at where that is so different than what Israel is today. Okay, so 1967 is nothing in the uh, picture of of uh, uh, prophetic fulfillment, prophecy fulfillment. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with it. That's just the way, because we're getting closer to um, 2028, which is the 80, we're in the 70 to 80 year, 10, 10, win, 10 year window, and people get nervous, and so they're like, well, it's not really 2028. It's going to be the 1967 numbers, which gives us another 30 years, right? That's just, it's, or it's actually another 20 years, but that, we, we're so bad about this in the church world. We read the Bible but we can't come up, we can't just believe it. I get so frustrated when I see Christians talking about how the earth is, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of years old and that God did it through, through evolution. But that's not what the Bible says. 
That's not what the Bible says. It says he did it in, in, six, in six days. Then he says he rested a day. And then it didn't say the days were as uh, 40,000 million years each. Right? We just got to believe the Bible. In Matthew chapter 1. So with, um, <clears throat> with Christmas, I, I, I was processing this. The scripture starts in Isaiah. I'm going to read it, uh, Luke here in a little bit. But it starts in Isaiah. And it talks about um, that unto us a child is born, right? Unto us a, um, a son is given. And I, and I was thinking about the, the significance of that statement. And then you see the nativity scenes, right? With, with uh, Jesus, Jesus in the nativity scene. I saw one this week I thought was pretty good. It was a little plastic baby Jesus, but they didn't have the manger. They lost the manger, right? So I, Not plastic, but like ceramic, little ceramic Jesus. And so he's kind of curled up. They just set him on top of a little wooden block. Looks like he's doing ab crunches. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus is going Jesus to be pretty strong by the time this season is over. But I think about this little baby Jesus, the way that we think about it in society and wrapped up with Christians. Christmas, it's not bad. I'm not saying it's a negative thing. But, but, but I think sometimes the things we do like that, we kind of box kind of box in certain segments and we say, well, this is, you know, this is Jesus in the manger kind of thing. And then this is Jesus as a teenager in the temple. And then this was Jesus during the three years of ministry kind of thing. And, and we, we really kind of keep them separate for it's, it's weird how we do that, right? We don't, sometimes it, we have to consciously process baby in the manger, guy on the cross, same person, you know, that this baby grew up and, and became uh, the, the adult that then was hung on the cross. And sometimes we don't process that. And, and then we can also take uh, and, and like over-spiritualize certain elements and under-spiritualize other elements. Like the fact that, you know, I pick on these things. The, 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 the song, Away in a Manger, where it says, No crying did he make. That's, that line irritates me so bad. The, the idea that, a, that baby Jesus never cried, come on. That, it, we do this stuff because we want to put him at a place where, where he was perfect because he was God rather than he was sin-free as a human. Those are not the same thing. He came to this earth and he took on human flesh. Why? Because he loves us. And he did all this. And I don't think we put enough significance sometimes on, on the reality of Jesus being born, going into the womb. He was not aware while he was in the womb any more than anybody else is. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't sitting in the womb, you know, talking to God, glowing. He was a little baby that was growing just like any other little baby. But look at this. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I have read books and I have I've listened to speakers talk about this. Theologians discuss this. How important really was the virgin birth? Is it that big of a deal? Or is that, you know, is that something we're just like holding on to as the church, but it's not as big of a deal? It's not that, it doesn't matter that much. Except think about this. This, this was my argument with there was the... Um, the, the movie that came out was from the book by Dan Brown, uh, The Da Vinci Code. And the premise of the book, I read the book, and Dan Brown's a great writer. I really enjoyed the book. It was nuts, but I really enjoyed the book. But here's the premise of the book. Jesus didn't really die because he wasn't really God. He didn't really die. He married Mary Magdalene, which is the, the Da Vinci mentality, right? Okay. Um, that even supposedly uh, the Mona Lisa is like a dude, you know, so whatever. So, so Jesus didn't die. He married Mary and they had children. And so the premise of the Da Vinci Code is they are looking to, you know, 2000 years later, we're looking for the descendants of Jesus, which for some reason are redheads. I don't know how that got put in there. Everybody knows redheads don't have holes. So, just kidding. Just kidding if you're a redhead. Okay. 
Um, so, you guys stay focused. Um, so the premise is, at the end of this story, they're looking for the descendants of Jesus because they're very special and unique because they're descendants of Jesus. That's the premise of the story. But here's the problem. If Jesus was not God, and he didn't die on the cross, he was just another Jewish guy, apparently red-headed, that somehow, why do we care about that? Name all of the contemporaries of Jesus Christ that were put on crosses. And by the way, there were lots and lots. Okay? Name one of them. And their descendants are important to us. Why? See, the, the, the whole premise is Jesus is declared to be God by the church, so therefore he's important. But we don't believe he's God, but his descendants are still important because he is special because the church declares him to be God. That makes no sense. Now, here's the deal with this, is I've had theologians in seminary sit and explain why the virgin birth was not that big of a deal. It doesn't, even if, even if Jesus was not, if, even if Mary was not a virgin, it doesn't change the story, except it changes the story completely. Because if, he, if Mary was not a virgin, that means Jesus came from the seed of Joseph, which means he is from a man's seed and not from God's seed. Therefore, he cannot die on the cross for us as begotten of God. And I cannot be forgiven because he's just another man. But it's God in human flesh that was supernaturally conceived that gives me the ability to, to, have, to be forgiven and covered with his blood. His blood is supernaturally originated, not humanly originated. Now you say, but he's still human. Yes. And this is the amazingness of God is he puts Jesus into a, 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 a woman's womb to grow in humanity just like us. That part is very important too because when I, when I look at Jesus to follow his example, I'm not following an example of God. I'm following an example of a human under the power of the Holy Spirit. Was he still God? 100%. But he voluntarily left that, suspended that, so that he could actually go through the stuff of humanity. That's why when scripture says that he was tempted just like you and I are tempted. I know for some people specifically of Catholic background. Some people really struggle with that. Well Jesus wasn't tempted. He couldn't sin. There's a difference between couldn't sin and didn't sin. That didn't sin wouldn't mean anything. <clears throat> if he couldn't sin. It wouldn't mean nothing. The fact that he didn't sin was the amazingness of the power of the Holy Spirit that he was dependent upon. And that's the example I follow. The fact that he didn't sin, I'll follow that example. If he couldn't sin, I couldn't follow that example. Right? And you can break this down with everything. All the miracles did, everything. Was done, these were done under the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's extremely important that we make sure that we understand that he was born of a virgin, that Mary was a virgin. And this is where sometimes, about 25 years ago, there was a couple of uh, Bible translations that um, came out that changed the word virgin to um, young lady, right? Well, here's the thing, just so, just so there's no confusion. In, in Isaiah, in Hebrew, the word that we would use for virgin could be translated virgin or young lady. That is true. There's no doubt about that. You cannot... You cannot lock it in if all you have is the Old Testament Hebrew. You can't lock it in as virgin. You can translate as young lady. But when Matthew takes it and quotes it right here, when Luke quotes it in the New Testament, as this is the definition of that word, and in the New Testament, there's no doubt about the definition of the word virgin. When they lock it in in the New Testament, that shows us how we're supposed to translate the Old Testament. There's no question at that point, unless you really don't believe the Word of God. And if you're just kind of hoping that it'll work out the way you want, which is different than God's Word, you can translate whatever you want. Don't just, use, don't just work, work on the word virgin. Work on the word God. Start there and change stuff. But when he locks it in and he says, still a virgin, she became pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Or as Luke says, she had never been with a man. This is very important. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. 
And that gives me, that's one of the elements, but it's the big one that gives me the ability to be forgiven and covered with the blood of, of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. He continues, Jesus, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, and that makes sense, by the way. I read some stuff years ago that says the reason that Joseph is not around when Mary, um, when Jesus became a, a full age and he was starting his ministry at 30 years old, the reason Joseph wasn't around is because he left Mary because he never totally believed Jesus was immaculately conceived. I'm like, who's coming up with this stuff? Where'd you get that? J Joseph's memoirs? Think about this. He says, <clears throat> um, he was going to put her away quietly. Why? Because this makes sense. The, the man is, a, is still a man, and he's wondering about his wife-to-be. Show me one guy in this room that believes his girlfriend when she says, okay, look, I, I know you and I weren't sleeping together, but I got pregnant, but it's okay. It's God's baby. Don't worry. Right? There's no way that Joseph should believe this, no matter how much he believed Mary. This was, this was not something that happens. So, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, most of the time in Scripture, when you see a name and then it qualifies it, they want to name him this so he will, because of this. That's the, that's the definition of the name. You know, Jesus, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. That's what his name means, right? And so he says, you're going to name Jesus. And, I, and I've had people question this. I'm not saying to me, I'm saying in writings and stuff, like the validity or the veracity of the Bible or whatever, that says, well, Jesus has got all these different names, Jesus, Emmanuel. Well, which is it? All of them. They're all. Jesus is the Lord that saves. And then he says, um, and all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. That's already supernatural miracle beyond what humans can do. All right? And then they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now think about that statement. God is with us. He voluntarily stepped into this human existence. And then, and here's the amazing thing, that, that moment of the manger, that moment of him being born is the beginning of what he is going to, to finalize with the statement, it is finished later. Right? I think we understand this. But he couldn't say it is finished, the plan of redemption, the, the bringing us back and the fixing the whole thing. He couldn't get to it is finished unless he started by being born. <clears throat> and, and I know, I know God could have come up with so many different possibilities of how this could have happened. This, this is one of the things that I, it gets in my head sometimes, is God could have done whatever. See, we say these things, as human beings, we say this stuff. Um, like, like somehow they're, a, a, uh, they're disproving God somehow. But we'll, we'll say things like, well, you know, that's just a, a physical law of nature, like gravity. Yeah, except God made gravity. Well, okay, but that's time. Okay, but God made time. He's not limited to those kind of things. You say, well, the way that sins are forgiven is you have to have sacrifice. There has to be uh, uh, pouring out of blood. There has, there has to be blood as the, the redemption, as part of the plan of redemption for salvation. Yes, that's true, except God's the one who wrote the rules. God's the one who decided. that you, when, he, when he killed that animal in the Garden of Eden so he could give Adam and Eve clothes, the first animal that was ever killed, God killed so that he could give Adam and Eve clothes. He was already had the preparation for Jesus Christ to come and, and sacrifice himself. That it was already laid out. That's why he starts it there. So when Jesus says at, at the cross, when he said it is finished, he is talking about something that started with that first animal being killed in the garden. Well, for that to happen, he's got to get to this earth in human form. And if he just showed up, boom, one day, it, it, the story wouldn't be the same. He had to go through the mother's womb 
but supernaturally conceived. All of this is extremely important. And then it says, and this is who he is, he's Emmanuel, God with us. That he's God with me, he's God with you, and he's God with us every single moment of every single day. And that's the part I don't think, well, I know for me personally, I, I don't do a good job of staying focused on that. That he's, that he's God with us. Somebody else was telling me this recently. They were going through some physical struggles, and they'd been through them a few days. And, and then they said to me, and then, I, and then I realized I hadn't prayed about this. He said, now, I know that hasn't happened to you. I'm like, that happens to me almost every time something in my life happens. I get up here and preach and preach and preach. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to seek God. We're supposed to do this stuff. And then I, 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 was, I was five days into COVID before I was like, oh, I could pray about this. Think about that. Guys, I am way closer to God than all you guys. And it took me, it took me five days. It took me five days before I thought I should be praying. It's better than dying. Think about what we do as human beings, how we go through life, and then we have epiphanies that God's in charge. Instead of, now this is what we should be working on, but we should be constantly saying, but God, you're in charge. Keep that in my, in my mind and my spirit. That's why I quote the, the, the uh, scripture out of Psalms. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And when I'm quoting that in the morning, I remember that through the day better. It's when I'm going through the day and I start my day off. I, I pray every morning, but some days <clears throat> I'm praying more about the issues rather than God, you're God over everything. And, and we have to start that. That's where Jesus started with the Lord's Prayer, right? God, you're God over everything. We've got to start there because that's the relationship side. Instead of just praying over the needs. I've been praying a lot for all this stuff for our building. And I catch myself, it's, it's important to pray and please all of you do. But I catch myself thinking, wait a second, I haven't just really spent time with God. I, I was sitting in the car last night, Linda was shopping. Um, she's, she's been off her feet for a while, so she had to kind of catch up. And so she was shopping, and I'm out in the car and, and listening to stereo and, and playing games on my phone and stuff. And the song, Emmanuel, God With Us, came on. That is just a powerful song. And, and that... It just, I just, I put it on loop and I just kept listening to the song over and over because it was grabbing my spirit that he is God right here, right now. We're not waiting for something. He's here now. He's the, he's the everything right now. I have to get to that point though. I have to accept that. I have to see that. I have to understand that. So I want to walk down through some things with this. Um, six different things that as God with us, this is what this is who he is. That's what he does. In uh, Judges chapter 6, this is where Gideon, right? The angel of the Lord comes up to Gideon. I think it's the Lord, actually. The Lord comes up to Gideon and says, uh, mighty man of valor, right? I'm going to rescue your people and all this stuff. And Gideon is really struggling with this. He says, who am I? You know, he gives all the excuses and all this stuff. And then, now we know later, this is the one that gets the most media play in the story of Gideon. Gideon is where later he says, um, you know, I need a sign from you make the fleece wet and the ground dry, and then he does the opposite or whichever order it is. Make the, the, the fleece dry and the ground wet, right? But this happens way before that, weeks before that. God says, Gideon, I'm going to use you. I'm going to do some big stuff. And, he, and Gideon says, I need a sign from you. He says, okay. So Gideon goes and makes a dinner, and makes a big lunch, cooks all this food, kills an animal. I mean, this, this is not like open the refrigerator and throw some in the microwave. He, so he brings this big meal, and he, and he sets it down in front of the Lord. And he said, Lord, I need a sign from you. So God goes, Foomp, and just lights up the meal, burns it up, boom, completely disintegrates it with fire. Okay? So this is why I ask myself, why did he need the fleece signs later? Didn't God, and I think to myself, if I'm there, I'm not going to ask for the flea signs later because you showed me that. And then I look back over my life and I can't tell you how many times I've said, God, I need a sign. Right? It doesn't matter if he's given me a sign before. I'm limited human and I don't have faith sometimes and I need another sign. Right? And by the way, I don't think that's totally wrong. I do think that there has to be times when you stand up and you mature and you don't have to have a sign. Okay? 
<clears throat> what if the green, what if the light doesn't turn green before you get there? You're going to base your whole life on that? I have before. So then, so then he lights up the meal, and this is where we come into the story. Verse 23, Judges 6. It's all right, the Lord replied. Don't be afraid, you will not die. Which is important because he just torched the meal, and the, and the Lord is wanting him to know, I'm not torching you too. It's just the meal was the sign. You and I are still good. Remember the whole, you're about to rescue your people. You can't do that if you're burnt up. So, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Now think about this. He is telling Gideon, Gideon, you're going to need peace. Peace that I'm in charge. Peace that even in the middle of the battle, I'm going to fight the battle. All these different things. Gideon, you're going to have to trust me, and I'm going to bring peace into your spirit right now. The altar remains in the land of the clan of Abiar as they are to this day. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Well, let me just do this real quick as an exercise. How many of you have ever experienced peace beyond natural understanding? Right? This, the, the, the times when I've seen it the most, I guess, is when somebody has lost a, a loved one and they just don't have anything to rest on. They don't know, they, where do you go from there? And the Lord's peace comes in so strong. But here's the thing. is we talk about this and we, and we use the scripture, the Lord will bring peace. The Lord is peace. He'll bring peace into your spirit. But the next sentence, which is important, says, His peace will guard your hearts, the way you feel, and your mind, the way you think. And different ones of us are different. Sometimes, you, sometimes you're going to, depending on your personality, you're going to lean more toward, I need peace in my feelings or I need peace in my mind. You know, calm my mind down. Right? But it says, the caveat is, as you live in Christ Jesus. We've got to be careful because I've heard people do this many, many times over the years. You tell somebody, but the, 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 the peace of the Lord will guard you. That's not a promise by itself. That's, that's, in fact, that's erroneous. You've got to be able to say, as you are in Christ Jesus. If you're trying to do this from the outside, and I've seen this happen many times, where we try to, to, you know, if we get the prayer right, or we quote the scripture right, or we get the formula right, and we get the A plus B, then God's going to do because we got the formula right. And he's saying, this stuff doesn't flow out of some kind of breaking the Bible code. It flows out of relationship. It's relationship. The way that you're going to have peace in the Lord is when you are in the Lord. You've got to be in Him. And the, if you need a lot of peace, get a lot into Him. The more you, the more you crawl up under his, uh, his covering, His wings, the more that you have that peace. In fact, that's what Psalms 91 says. Once you are under His wings, it said His truth will be your, your uh, sword and your shield. His truth. But where do you get that? In Him. Not abstractly looking into it, not just reading the Bible, but that becomes part of you. That becomes the relationship. The second thing, <clears throat> James chapter 2. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. This is Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac, right? And you know, you see the pictures and you see the stuff sometimes and you think that Isaac is this little boy. That's not scripturally accurate. Isaac was not a little boy. Okay? He'd grown up. And so Abraham is taking Isaac to sacrifice him. And, he, and there's so much to this story that just you, just you can read it five, six, seven times. And you, every time you're like, ah, that is, I didn't see this. Because there's so much. The fact that Abraham has faith to do this. God said, Isaac is going to be the, the father of many nations. Or you're going to be the father of many nations through Isaac. And then he says, oh, by the way, here's what I want you to do with Isaac. Kill him. I don't think that's how it's going to work, God right? And then he says, Isaac, let's go, let's go sacrifice something. And along the way, Isaac's starting to realize we, we got no animal with us. Isaac figures it out because he says, dad, we, we have no animal. And, I, and Abraham's like, don't worry about it. We got it. We got this taken care of. I don't think you do. And here's the thing too, is it says that when he starts to sacrifice Isaac, he ties him up on the altar. Which means Isaac was complicit. 
he also was trusting God. Or trusting something. And so it gets to this moment, and as Abraham raises the knife to kill Isaac and sacrifice him, <clears throat> the Lord grabs his hand. So I'm saying, you, you hope he hadn't been eating like biscuits and butter right before that, right? But he grabs his hand, stops his hand, and then right beside him is a ram in the bush. It hadn't been there before. And right beside him is a ram in the bush. And Abraham is obviously thanking God. Isaac is way relieved. Um, that, that ram never looked so good. He probably named it, petted it a little bit before it, they killed it. But uh, the, the whole thing here is it brings Moses, I mean, Abraham to this point, And Abraham says... <clears throat> Abraham looked up, saw the ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed... I'm sorry, I jumped ahead, didn't I? I'll get back to number two. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh, which is the Lord will provide. Think about this. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, there's been many times when I've been irritated with God. Very irritated with God because, and this is the exact statement that I've said, Lynn and I have both said this, when, when you know you're doing the right stuff, right? I'm, I'm serving God. I'm being obedient to God. I'm tithing. I, I'm being, now here's the thing. You can't, you can't say, God, these are your promises if you're not doing what he's asked you to do for those promises. Like tithing. If you're not tithing, then you have no provision, a promise of provision that he's going to help you through these things. Okay, that, that's how simple it is. And I know sometimes that irritates people. And are like, well, yeah, but I don't believe that anymore. Believe whatever you want. That's just what the Bible says. Okay? But there's been times when Lynn and I have been upset at God. God, you said you were going to provide for us. And I've, I've literally said to God, God, you, you said in your word that you're going to open the storehouse of heaven and pour upon us more than we can handle. And God, I haven't been there yet. Where is that moment, God right? I know I'm not the only one in this room that has thought that, processed that. And then here's the conclusion that I've come up with. Not usually at the moment, right? Takes a while and God has to show me, look back and show me. But I can, I can say with everything in me, 100%, God has always provided. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't mean I thought he was providing in the moment. There's been many times when I didn't think he was providing. But I know that God provides. I know he does. <clears throat> and, and Abraham is saying this to the point where he's literally saying, okay, God, you, I, I was about to kill my son and you provided. Right? And this is the statement that he says, is we will name this place Yahweh Yara or uh, Jehovah Jireh which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Guys, here's also part of the deal that I know this is not popular. I didn't used to preach this years ago because I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it because I didn't understand it. But I really believe that God, well, he shows us all through his word that he takes us through difficult circumstances. So when we come out on the other end, we have determined within ourselves that he is Jehovah Jireh. Not because somebody else has said it to us. Not because we've read it, but because we know it. The Lord will provide. I know there are going to be things in my future that I'm going to struggle with God providing for me. I know that. That's called being a human. But I also know that who I am today is much different than who I was 20 years ago. And that I know that I know He will provide. And that takes a dependence upon the Lord. Not a dependence upon you or your abilities or your bank accounts or whatever. It takes a dependence upon the Lord. He is going to provide. Right? The second thing that I skipped. James chapter 2. Verse 23. And, it's, and so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. This is flowing out of relationship. Remember, the, the reality that God with us, that, that has to include that he likes us. He comes, he comes out of um, transcendence and he limits himself to human existence 
And then he walks around and hangs out with people and teaches them and does all this stuff. That has to mean that he actually likes us. Now, I don't totally get that sometimes. There's, there's, I, I, just, I just don't understand why God would like us, right? And I'm, I'm not, I won't make a joke here. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I don't know. When I look in the mirror sometimes, I'm like, why would he like you? You don't do all the things he asks. Sometimes you, you're in rebellion against him. Sometimes your attitude is wrong. Sometimes you don't have faith. You, you won't believe. All these different things. And I think, why would God like me? And then I, I, I include you guys because I like misery loves company. And so I think, why does God like us as people? And here's, here's the thing. I, I don't totally understand it. But it's kind of like a parent to a child, no matter what your child does, you still like them, mostly. Right? This is, there's something about this, and God's ability to do this, like from a parent to a child, God's ability is so much bigger, so much bigger. And he actually likes talking to us. He wants us to tell him stuff. He likes listening to our voice. That's, that's amazing to me. But, it, but it's flowing out of relationship. It says that Abraham, that Abraham had faith or that Abraham believed God and trusted and believed in God, and God counted that as uh, friendship. Counted his righteousness, and then he calls him friend. And by the way, I think that scripture applies to all of us. I don't think he was just saying that to Abraham. I think he, I think he is saying to all of us, you're my friend. He says, now this is an important sentence. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. You're tearing down major denominational beliefs across the nation with that one sentence. That it's all, it's all faith. It's, not, it's nothing you do. It's, and I'm not saying getting saved. That's not what I'm talking about. But once you are a Christian, what you do after that is what's going to be held accountable to you. What you do. Scripture is very clear about this. That, that your works will be judged. All these different things. And somehow we just keep, you know, we know that, that God gives us salvation through faith. And then we say, well, then after that, it's only faith. It's not about what I'm doing. Except he says here that, that we are shown to be right by God by what we do, not just faith. Don't you think God gets irritated when he hears Christians using faith as an excuse to not do something? Well, I, you know, it's, it's, this is all about uh, my faith relationship with the Lord. So, so your faith relationship means you don't do anything? You're lazy? Spiritually lazy? That doesn't make sense. Abraham did. When God said, Abraham, I want you to go. Take the promised land. Abraham said, where is it? I'll tell you when you get there. You know, God didn't say, you know what? You don't actually have to go. I'll just count it as faith because you believed in here. Well, but then you're still sitting where you were. Nothing happened. Guys, as Christians, we got to start doing more. <clears throat> we got to start going from just believing into being into doing. That's the, and James is the same guy that said, if you, if you say you have faith, but you're not doing anything, this is loosely translated, but I think this is what he said. He said, if you say you have faith, but you don't do anything, that's like a screen door on a submarine. You all right, Aiden? I, I, I mean, he literally says it's fake. It's not real. Faith without works is dead. It's nothing. It's something you made up. It doesn't exist. As he wants to call us friends. Why? Because we believe in him. We're following him. We're doing what he's asked us to do. We're being who he's asked us to be. We're not just giving lip service and just go, showing up to church every now and then. He wants a friend. He wants a real friend. Somebody that will walk with him. Number four, Psalms 54 all these people were trying to kill David, specifically the king. They were trying to kill David, and, and David makes this amazing statement that I've, I've processed many, many times over the years. But he says, but God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. Now, if we went around the room, we could have, there's plenty of stories in this building that anytime I've ever had these conversations, just sitting around talking to people, it's amazing how all of us have these different stories of when you should have died, but you didn't. Right? If, if you have a story like that, raise your hand. See? All the rest of you just didn't know it. I have, I have a handful of these when there's no doubt whatsoever I should have died at that moment, but, 
But I didn't, and it was supernatural, and I can't figure out except that God just kept me alive. And David makes it, he puts these two together. He says, God, you're my helper. And then he does this huge sentence, which to me raises the level of the sentence before. He says, you've kept me alive. So that means when he says, God, you're my helper, apparently there's a lot more gravity to God being his helper than just, you know, you did a little stuff along the way. He says, you're my helper. You've literally kept me alive. That's, that's who God is. That's, it. that's God with us. That's God walking with us and being with us and being close to us and providing and taking care of all these different things. And just protecting. You have no idea how many times God has protected you. You have no idea. This is, this is why I even think during things like what we're dealing with with COVID and everything else, I think there are moments when we have to say, Lord, you're the one who keeps people alive. I know you've given us medical science. I'm not trying to downplay that or whatever. I believe in that strongly. But I also believe that what we're seeing in today's society is not medical science. It's, it's a weird lying manipulation kind of thing that's going on. I, I just j- just read, not this week, but the last week, um, that uh, the government is working with the Postal Service to keep ivermectin from being delivered. Let me make sure I don't... Let me think about what I'm about to say here. I, 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 this is probably going to get taken off once this comes out, but... Here's the thing with me. That to me, and I've studied history voraciously, that looks exactly like Nazism of World War II. This is a legitimate drug that everybody knows has an amazing success rate, like almost 100% success rate. And all the other stuff has about a negative 4% success rate. And we keep ivermectin from being delivered to people? Guys, this is, this, is, this is where you have to say, okay, God, you've got to keep me alive. Because I know, and you may not believe this, I believe this 100%. I believe the government is actually actively working against us as a people right now. Actively, intentionally working against us to harm us, to hurt us, to kill us. You say, well, that, that's a little strong. I, I think it's true. Just call YouTube and they'll take it off. <laughs> Number five, Exodus 17. Moses is in battle. And Moses realized through the battle, God has told Moses you're going to win the battle. And so Moses realized through the battle, and, and the sad thing is that he has to realize it because that means lives are lost while he's realizing it. But he's standing on the hillside looking down over the battle. And as long as he keeps his hands up, the battle is winning. The Israelites are winning the battle. When he drops his hands, they start losing, right? Because you get tired. We, we were at a Christmas concert last uh, Sunday night, the one that's put on downtown at the Pikes Peak Center by the Presbyterian Church. Powerful. You should go to that. It's, we've gone the last couple of years amazing, absolutely amazing. And at one particular point, the uh, conductor, who was the, the now retiring music director for the First Presbyterian Church, he brings a little four-year-old girl up, and he's going to have her help him conduct the orchestra. And this girl's getting into it. I was so proud of she, you know, she's, she's watching him doing all this stuff. And then he would turn around to all the crowd. We would sing. She'd turn around and point to people and do all this. Well, it's a medley of like eight Christmas songs. By the time she gets to the seventh or eighth one, she's going. <laughs> she can't do it anymore. She was trying, but she doesn't have anything left. And I'm thinking, you know, Moses is standing up there. He's like, we're winning. Whew. Wait, we're losing. You know, it's that kind of thing. So here's what happens. Aaron and her come up to him. You know, Ben Hur? Okay, so <laughs> total different time frame. But Aaron and her come up and they raise up his arms and they hold his arms up. And they start winning. And there's some really cool stuff. I don't have time to unpack it, but just sometimes you need to have your arms raised by others. And sometimes you need to raise other people's arms. You need to know when those two things are different, right? And uh, so Moses got his hands raised, and they keep winning the battle. And after the battle is over, Moses says this in Exodus 17, 15. Moses built an altar there, and he named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Now, you could translate that. It would be loose, but you could translate that as the Lord that is the victor of all battles. But I like the way he says it. He doesn't say he's victor of battles. 
what he says is, over my life, the Lord's banner has been raised. In other words, if you, if you take a fort, in fact, uh, when, <clears throat> when everybody was, um, was evacuating um, Afghanistan, they showed a shot of the, um, the um, place where the Americans hang out, the embassy. And um, wait, I, I know this story really well. So <laughs> they show a picture of the embassy and everybody had already left and all this stuff. And then they show an ISIS flag hanging over the embassy. Man, that irritated me. Maybe for, maybe for all these anti-American goobs that doesn't mean anything, but that means a lot to me. And that's the concept. When you win a battle, you raise your flag because now you have a control and dominion over that. And, and here's the thing is that Moses realized not only did you win that battle, Lord, but that you're the victor of all battles. And so you've raised your flag over my life. Your banner that says I belong to you, you're the victor of my life, is now raised over in existence of me. And that means no matter what I walk into, you're victorious, God. Now, here's the thing, guys. Here's where we struggle is we like to, to lower God's flag, his banner, and put our flag up like we're winning the battles, like we're doing this stuff. You've got to be careful of that because God is the one who wins the battles. And we get this is what Ephesians 6 is trying to say. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual thing. God is the winner of battles. You're not. In fact, the best that we can usually do as human beings is mess up the battle. And then God's got to come fix it, Right? Let him fight. We pray he fights. And Moses realized all Moses did was stand there and raise his arms. And God fought the battle. He is God with us. He's God walking with us. He is not going to be caught off guard by a battle coming up. In fact, God knows about it long before you do. Let him fight the battles. The last one, the Lord our Redeemer. Luke chapter 2, Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and praying. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be dedicated. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Or or another word to say is deliver. That Jesus is the rescuer. He's the deliverer. He's the redeemer. And she had been waiting for the Messiah to be born. And God told her, you're not going to die until that happens. God told a few other people that too. I'll just throw something out here that I think. I don't really have anything to base this on. I mean, these are scriptures, but it would, it would be loose to base it on this. But I really believe that there are people, and I, so, so for this to work in my head, this is me positing, right? I believe these people are alive today. I believe that God has told certain people on our planet today that they're not going to die until Jesus comes back. And there's reasons why he tells them that. Now, I don't think <clears throat> those are the people that shout it out and tell everybody else. Those are the kind of things, this is me, okay? I think those are the kind of things we keep to ourselves for specific reasons until God tells us to say it. Because I've been talking about this the last few weeks. Guys, we're listening to too much stuff online. Too many people saying too much stuff. Hey, this is just my suggestion. Back away from that and get in the Word. Back away from all of the the talking heads on all the, the YouTube and the vlogs and everything. Back away from that stuff. And just let God speak to you himself. God spoke to Anna. She didn't, she didn't have some prophet tell her something. God spoke to her. Just, just a, a, a widow that was waiting for God to do something. God spoke to her. What makes any of us in this building different? God wants to speak to you. And he wants to tell you primarily that he's your Lord and Savior and he's your Redeemer. And then sometimes he adds stuff to it. And sometimes, rarely... It's futuristic. But most of the time, what he's trying to confirm to you is his word. He's trying to show you his word. Ephesians 1 verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son 
and forgave our sins. He bought us with his blood. He redeemed us back. We had given authority to Satan in the garden, and Jesus comes and he takes the keys to death, hell, and the grave and says, you are no longer under that authority. You let yourself be covered or by faith embrace being covered with my blood, and you're under my authority. But you have to choose that. You have to choose it by faith to accept Jesus' covering of blood, and then you're under God's authority. Death, hell, and the grave have no authority over you anymore. Job chapter 19, but as for me, <clears throat> I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him. That's a whole message by itself. The resurrection of the body and everything else. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I wrote down three um, statements that kind of caught me. <clears throat> As I'm reading that last sentence, I'm overwhelmed at the thought. I was thinking about this. When I see the baby Jesus, I am overwhelmed at the sight of God in human flesh. When I see the cross, I am overwhelmed at the love that would allow him to sacrifice himself for me. When I surrender my soul to Jesus, I am overwhelmed at the relationship he brings to me. As we have to make a decision, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'm all in with you. I'm in, I'm in with you in the manger. I'm in with you through your life, through your ministry, through your death, up to this moment right now. I'm, I'm all in with you. You're my everything. You are God with me. And I'm going to walk in that. Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you. God, that you're the king. You're the everything. You are the I am. The all everything. And Jesus, we depend upon you. Lord, help us depend upon you more. Lord, we have faith in you. Lord, help our disbelief. God, we, we want to be your friend. Help us when we don't treat you that way. Lord, we, we submit our life, our mind, our spirit, we submit our life to you in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this question and give us an opportunity just to say, okay, Jesus, I belong to you. If you say, I, I, I don't think... Jesus isn't my Savior. You, you know that. You either know he is or isn't. Say, I don't think I'm walking with Jesus. We want to we take the opportunity. Don't, don't just walk out of here. Let's just pray. and Say, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of me. So if that's you, say, I need God. I need Jesus to be my Savior. I'd like you to raise your hand. We're going to all pray together here in a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything. Yeah, okay. Quite a few hands. Guys, this is this is this is the point. This is the point right here of everything. It's just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you as my savior. So I'd like us to pray. Let's all pray together. And um, if you if you would repeat a prayer with me. And for you that raised your hands, please do the best you can. Just make this your prayer. And, and if you didn't raise your hand and you want to, God knows that. Um, let's just pray and ask Jesus to be in charge of us. So everybody in the room, let's pray this together. Lord God, I need you to be God over my life. I ask you to forgive me of everything I've done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to serve you with my entire life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the gift of you to this earth and to me and to every one of us in this room. And God, I pray during Christmas, this, this week coming up, that, that you'll give us opportunities to talk to people. You'll give us opportunities to pray with somebody. When we're sitting around dinner with, with family, 
Help us not to focus on all the things that are bad or whatever, but Lord, help us to look for moments to declare the amazingness of you. In Jesus' name. Lord, you love every single person on this planet. You love every person that we come in contact with every day. Lord, help us to, to, to just be your voice. Just be your love. Be your grace. Lord, help us to tell somebody about you, to minister to somebody, pray for somebody. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. Amen. So we are having church Wednesday night. Um, I was going to start doing a, a series on Daniel and Revelation and stuff, but <clears throat> I'm just going to talk about Christmas Wednesday night. So for all of you that are Christians, we would love to see you Wednesday night. Um, if not, we've got two Christmas Eve services. Don't forget that. Two different ones, depending on timelines of your family. We'd love to see you here. It's always a good time. I will see you Christmas Eve. But if for some reason you are not going to show up to any of those, uh, we will see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful Christmas. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them how good looking they are. We will see you sometime.